Welcome back, everybody, to another week of Living with Will. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your space with me. And I can't wait to share this interview and this experience with you all. Um, before we get into it, I just want to give you a little backstory to who our guest is. Martin Barnventry is a Broadway performer and a Broadway actor. He's a multi-hyphenated talent. He can sing, he can dance, he can act. The man is the testament to hard work paying off if you put the time in and if you really study your craft, you can really achieve your dreams. And this is one of the people I've known the longest in my life. I consider him a sibling. He's my brother for life, je t'aime. Um, Martin, you already know. And uh, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast, man. If you guys are, you know, an artist or a musician or just, you know, you're, you're pursuing a dream, this is a great interview for you because this man has constantly been an inspiration for me and I'm so grateful to be able to share his wisdom and his words with you all today. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you enjoy the podcast, as always, please like, comment, subscribe. It really would mean the world to me because it helps me get to the next level. But regardless of all that, I hope you enjoy this week's podcast episode. And I hope you have a great week and following week. And I hope that life continues to bless you and you find the success that you deserve. Welcome back to Living With Well. First of all, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but let's uh, let's just take it right to the beginning. So um, sure. I want to start with where it all started. How did you get into music and the performance arts? Um, it's so you know it's so interesting. I got into this because I've loved it all my life. I've been a city kid all my life, mm-hmm. and I remember my mother had a video of Charlie Chaplin. And I love Charlie Chaplin. I was five years old, and the first VHS film that I had of his, the, the film was The Circus, where he automatically becomes part of the circus without even knowing that he became part of it. It was this comedy film. And when I saw that, I said, that's what I want to do. He was a he was a brilliant entertainer. He was a, a once in a light. You never saw somebody like a Charlie Chaplin. And then... Later on, as as years went on, I was um, vocally training as a singer when I was 11. So that started my early vocal training started at 11. And then 12, one of the great performances I saw was I remember sitting and I saw Hugh Jackman do The Boy From Oz. Hmm. And I was 12 when I saw him do it. He played Peter Allen, who was a very famous singer-songwriter. Peter Allen was wrote songs like I Honestly Love You, and he wrote By Coastal, and he wrote I Go to Rio, and he wrote uh, so many of these big pop tunes, and Hugh Jackman played him. He was a big Australian showman. He was he was married to Liza Minnelli. That's how he got, um, how he really became famous. And he it and watching Hugh Jackman was outstanding. I that's I said that's what I need to do. So ever since then I became hooked 
to wanting to be a performer. And even though that was my path, clearly, but that performance really peaked it, I feel. Mm. I mean, I loved everything else. I was influenced by so many other people and so many things, but that performance, I think, really peaked it for me. That's so interesting. I never knew that Hugh Jackman was... um... I always just saw him as Wolverine. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he's an amazing... Yeah, he's... I mean, he's done musical theater. He's in it. It's so funny because I just did uh, the tour of A Bronx Tale. Right. And as you know, I was... You were supposed to come see me at the tour of it. And my team, my creative team, was going to be on the Broadway revival of The Music Man that was starring Hugh Jackman. Mm-hmm. And that was coming to Broadway because it was Jerry Zach's and all those people and now that this pandemic hit who knows if it's going to come back Mm -hmm. who knows at this point yeah yeah it's really the pandemic has had just there's not an industry that hasn't been touched but i feel like the entertainment industry has been especially burdened by i mean obviously the medical industry is probably i would say the most most inundated could just be dealing with patients and i also want to say while we're on the topic you know thank you to all the essential workers and to everyone right. fighting you know this this incredibly diabolical pandemic i don't know i don't know why humanity has to suffer yet another slight we're already dealing with so much but um yeah a shout out to the essential workers man we need them now more than ever but i want to i want to talk to you about the tour so it was a shame i was planning on coming i think you were going to stop in i think you were in sacramento I was. Yeah, and um, so talk about that a little bit because, you know, so you so you you wanted to do this career, but mm-hmm. you know it's not um, every kid can have the dream, but it's not every kid that's gonna realize it, right? So talk to me a little bit about what led up to you getting onto such an, a prestigious tour. How did that How did that come about? And and tell me about kind of the process you had to go through to get to it. The tour it was a Bronx Tale, and it was based off the movie with which was written by Chaz Palminteri, who I worked with, and who's wonderful, by the way. He's he's a doll. I love him so much. And it, it what happened was I saw the show on Broadway about three years ago or so, a couple of years ago. It, was, it came out 2016 and opened officially around 2017, around there, around that season. And it was written by Alan Menken, who wrote so much of the Disney stuff, you know, Aladdin, and he wrote Newsies, and he wrote Beauty and the Beast, as everybody knows, Alan wow. Menken. But Alan Menken is really, when you think about it, he's a music theater songwriter, and he wrote shows like Little Shop of Horrors and Sister Act, and this was one of his shows. And I remember it going, people were telling me, you must do this show of Roxdale. It is perfect for you. Like people kept telling me that. And finally the tour goes non-union. Um, it went out after the, I went to Broadway, the first tour, we were the second tour to just the second cast to have ever come in and to have ever done the show wow. itself as it is done. They, so I did all the rounds. I auditioned. I sang a 50s tune. I sang You Send Me by Sam Cooke. And then they brought me back a month later. And they they workshopped me. They had me do a workshop before I was in front of the creatives. And I was in front of Chaz. And I was in front of Jerry Zachs, who just directed the revival of Hello, Dolly, 
with Bette Midler, which was phenomenal. If you, I mean, if anybody ever saw that revival, that was one of the best revivals I think musical theater in musical theater history was the Hello Dolly revival. And he also did the Guys and Dolls revival with Nathan Lane and Faith Prince. And he did Sister Act, and he also did House of Blue Leaves, John Guare's House of Blue Leaves. And he was one of Neil Simon's, one of Neil Simon's favorite directors, and he loved my work. He said, I made him fall down laughing, and he said to me, you know, you are wonderful, and I'd love you to step outside. So I waited for all that information, and then a day later, I was going to Nick's. Uh, I remember Nick's wedding and I got the offer and I just remember it like it was yesterday. And Mm -hmm. it was, it's interesting because we were doing the tour. We were, we were working our butts off. I mean, tour life is a very interesting kind of life. It's one of those lives where literally one day you're on the bus and then the next day when you get on the bus right out after the bus, you get off the bus, you do the show right then and there. And sometimes that does happen. You do your tech run, you know, you warm up your voice, your body, everything. You probably sometimes been traveling maybe four to five hours. It can get that crazy or you're on the plane and then they give you a day off when you're going to do travel day. But when you're on a bus, it's hectic and it's, but that's part of the life. And I think my advice to anybody going into a tour is that, you really must take care of yourself. You must mm. treat your body, your voice, your mind as an instrument as itself because the life isn't easy. Uh, and I think that what, what happened was I was – it was funny because you were going to come see me actually in Costa Mesa. We were playing exactly Costa Mesa. And my dear friend Nick Fradiani, who he's a he's one of my very close friends – Nick won American Idol. He was Lorenzo. He was our star. And he won American Idol in 2015. And he's, if if you've ever seen Nick, Nick is a brilliant singer-songwriter. He's one of the best, I think, out there in the industry. And he's, and he's, and he's in a fantastic, I mean, he's, He's got everything going for me. He's wonderful, and I just adore him. And he'll hear this. I can't wait for me. And I, he knows that I, he will hear that. Uh, High praise, and, man. I love it. Yeah. And it was interesting because we were playing the Segerstrom Center for the Arts. And Segerstrom Center for the Arts had a 1,000 seats. It was a huge, huge venue. Every big tour played there. Every celebrity played there. You name it. And this pandemic hit. And, you know, we were told, don't greet people backstage, wash your hands. All the protocols were happening. So uh, we only we had a two week engagement there, but it ended up to be two days because we had a put in rehearsal and we found out in the put in rehearsal, Broadway was canceled. Even before that, Broadway was canceled. It was shut down. So they had the idea, Okay, we're going to keep us there till we know further information they sent us home and then when they sent us home they then after a week they told us that they canceled the tour which was devastating i did a hundred or more shows of that of of bronx tale i the tour was supposed to end may 10th we ended march 11th Mm. and you know i looked at it positively i if for some other people it was different uh, in other shows, but with our show, I think that 
our experience was so fantastic because we had the true experience of touring the USA, going to an amazing venues, just the, the best venues around the country that the big stars played in and, and thousands of people were cheering and loved it. And it felt like a real rock concert because a Bronx tale is a real rock show. It's in that style of Jersey boys and a lot of the fifties sort of musicals, fifty to sixties kind of musicals. And you, it was interesting because we, when the places that we played loved the show. It was a real tour show when I think about this show. Because I remember when we were in New Jersey and literally we had to start 20 minutes later because they were lined up around the block. It was New wow. Jersey. It was the Italians that were coming to see our show of a bronze tale. And I just... I'm thankful for that, for the tour, because there's, you know, as an artist, you have to pay your dues. That's mm -hmm. the thing that people do forget. And I think it's more of a forgotten thing now, especially as that really what we are is we're craftsmen. We're, we're real artists of the theater. And we have to view this as an art in itself. Yes, it is a business, but also this is an art. And you think about that, you know, you do have to pay your dues. Before I ever did a tour, you know, I was doing summer stock where literally you do one show in the day, you rehearse the show in the day, and then you do another show at night, and you do five shows in a rotation in a whole summer. You know, like one time you're doing a chorus line, you're, re you're rehearsing for a chorus line, you're doing My Fair Lady at night. It's that sort of a, a thing. Wow. And, you're, and, and it really, but it teaches you so many lessons and, you know, I've done dinner theaters, you know, around the country, which also teaches you about how to play to an audience that's still, that maybe sometimes you're doing eight shows a week, you're doing 11 shows a week. That does happen. That's part of the theater life. But it does train you to that when you get to the other jobs, that you're able to know what you're doing at that time. And, you know, you're still learning, you're still growing, you're still taking your classes. And, I've been very thankful during this pandemic because actually I have a full schedule. I'm in my acting classes. I'm in my voice lessons and my dance classes every day. And I have a structured schedule. And it's funny because, you know, this time really does challenge people. It does challenge people mentally and especially in the arts. The arts, I think right now is very much dying. There's no work for us as artists. But, I mean, I think I've been very lucky, not just lucky, but I think I can't just say luck because everybody throws around the word luck. That's one thing. But a lot of it does have to do with yourself because mm. you do have to work hard to get mm -hmm. to that point. I've been able to do, while this pandemic is happening, these cabarets. Uh, you've seen the performances of my cabaret mm -hmm. shows on Zoom. It's with a thing called Broadway Nights, and they have people who've done cruise ships, who've done tours, who, who've done regional theaters. And it was brought to me because one of my best friends from tour, Sean, Sean Leslie Thomas, did, who did the Sister Act tour also as well, and he was in Bronx here with us. Sean, who's incredibly, ta really one of the most talented people I know in the industry and have ever worked with and known and have ever met, and he's a wonderful guy. Sean got me to go on it because somebody... Uh, dropped out and they needed somebody who 
was sort of that entertainer type that could do stuff like a Barry Manilow or Neil Diamond, all that that kind of material. And mm-hmm. he said, well, I have the guy for you. And that was me. And that every week they do a theme, like they'll do 50s and 60s, they'll do 70s. And now this week is 80s, and I'm singing Fire by Bruce Springsteen, uh, which is which I can't wait to do. And, you know, so also I have my schedule. I, I have my get-togethers on Zoom. And... Like I know when I'm, I'm what time and where, and I think that when I think about this time, it, it, yes, I mean we're cursed, but there's also some blessings that you have to look into it with Definitely. this time. I think I totally agree. And let me ask you a question about yourself, Martin. Like as you tell these stories, you you're showing this incredible vast well of knowledge that you have about your craft, and I, and it's always been something that I I've, I've really admired about you is. Thank you just your impeccable memory of, of this of this art form and um, and as you and as you put it you know when, when you're working in it you're you're rehearsing in the day you're performing at night sometimes 8 to 11 shows how do you have the room in your brain to remember all this stuff like are there some tricks that you do for memory how do you do it it's very interesting I think because I'm a very physical person mm-hmm. I am I, I do things with my body first. And therefore, okay. as I'm doing it physically, it does help everything else. Huh. But also, before I get to the rehearsals, I really memorize everything. I do my research. I'll watch as many, de- like, or read as many things that is on it before I get to it. Like, for example, if I'm doing Guys and Dolls, which I can't wait to do in my life, um, I would, if I was doing it, I'd go to the library, New York Public Library, when it reopens, if it reopens, and watch the old revival that Jerry Zachs did that was filmed. I would watch the movie with Sinatra and Brando, read read some of the Damon Runyon's stories, and read the books, all that other stuff to get a sense of the show itself. And when you look at so many of the great great artists so many of them that's what they do they really do their research mm-hmm. and you can't just walk into any show i think and just say well i'm there and i memorize all my stuff you have to know the whatever you're doing it doesn't matter what you're doing you could do something from shakespeare to a musical comedy like a sister act and you still have to know the world of the play. You still have to know the themes. You still have to know the style. You still have to know everything going on because, you know, you want to serve it to the best degree. You want to serve the show to its best form. And also yourself, you grow more as an artist because then you can apply it to everything. Once, once you've done your homework, you can do it everywhere you go and then it's so easy because I re- I'll tell you a story I did um, the role of Rooster Hannigan and Annie which was one of my favorite roles I've ever done and I would do that role if they offered it to me five more times it was a perfect role for me mm-hmm. but when I did it I came back from New York It was I was doing it in a dinner theater out in Ohio and then I got offered last minute they called me to come out to Lancaster to do Sister Act as uh, the role of Pablo in Sister Act, one of the gangsters, and which is another Alan Menken show. 
And I had to go out there. To, before I went out there to do it, I remember the director emailed everything that was of the 70s because it was all the John Travolta movie and of Saturday Night Fever and the Bee Gees songs and all this and what they were wearing and the style of the show and some of the takeoffs on things like, like for example, you know, DJ, uh, what's his name from, um, from, from the, from good times, like, you know, Dino my, all that stuff. So it's also knowing the world of the play and, it became easy for me to research right away because I had that muscle memory of that. If it had to be last minute, I would still be able to do it and memorize all my stuff before I got there. Like I would if I got the gig two months in advance, because that's going to happen sometimes mm-hmm. that'll happen. You'll get a phone call to come in, you know, whether you're doing something or not, that's happened to me before when I was, um, I did the show Peter and the Wolf, which was at Brooklyn Academy of Music at the Howard Gilman Opera House there, the huge Howard Gilman Opera House, which your parents actually came to see me in. Mm. Um, This was five years ago. And I did it with Lauren Lataro, who was the choreographer of the Broadway hit of Waitress. And I did it with a couple of um, Broadway people. One of them was Valerie Wright, who was the original, one of the original white cats in cat she was the original victorian cats and i did it with jonathan hadley jonathan hadley was in jersey boys as bob crew and he was on the national tour of bodyguard of the bodyguard and i worked with so many of these amazingly talented people for two days it was a two-day thing it was before new year's it was around that time and it was interesting because they called i was in the final cut for it i was one of the two huntsmen i was in the final cut for it and it was me and three other guys and two other guys got it before us we got it and i found out i did not get it so after thanksgiving i was on the train in the underground and i get a message that one of the other guys dropped out and they needed me to fill in so what did i do i had my book of peter and the wolf that i read again i had the the cd of peter and the wolf of prokofiev's um music and i listened to it i was able to do it in a heartbeat when they gave me it and ready to go and i knew that i had my dance training behind me to do the character movement Mm -hmm. so it's all about really and you do i mean that's part of what we do is you have to train you have to take your dance classes your voice lessons your acting lessons because it's a constant constant ground and the market is so high you have to make yourself so so versatile i mean you have to literally make yourself so versatile in the sense that if you sing, if you're a fantastic singer, but you've never taken a dance class in your life, go take your dance class and be good enough, be so good that you're able to really nail nail the dance combination. Or if you're a dancer and you've never really taken a voice lesson in your life, take your voice lesson so that when you get called back to sing after you dance, you're there, you're able to nail the singing and then always take your acting because that everything comes into play. They're really looking for people who can really act as well as sing and dance. Because when you've got the acting behind it, boy, you just you you nail the job. Hmm. I promise you that. It's interesting. You never really know how much work goes. I mean, obviously, you it, it's not surprising to me that it takes this amount of work. But it's you never really know what goes into it uh, behind the right. scenes, and it's it's really interesting. And I love that point you made about kind of how 
people talk about luck and how how luck is required but it also is required to do all that work before luck yeah. can even take part so i love that you uh that you emphasize that let me let me pivot let me let me pivot on on sure. my as it were i think that's a dance term <laughs> maybe it's just a basketball yeah, yes, term. Yes, all right cool. Dance term. cool 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 so let me take a quick pivot and let's let's go to your family. I'm interested to know: is there a musical background that um, that you that you were born into? Is anyone in your family musically inclined, or are you kind of the first of the first of the family to to take this on? You know what? It's so interesting that you asked that because my father's my my grandfather, who I never met, was apparently a fantastic singer, and he hmm. sang at Irish pubs, hmm. and he was. And he sang all these Irish songs, but we're not Irish by any means. Yeah, right. But but we're we're Italian, and he sang. But he apparently had an amazing voice. My uncle Ben has actually an amazing singer. He's one of those people. He loves to sing Sinatra, and Dean Martin was so nat. He's so naturally talented mm. at it. And my cousin Martin John was t- was a was a touring member of the band Rat-a-Tat-Tat, and then he left the band, and then he was working with one of the uh, people of White Stripes, and he's a brilliant musician. So, and then I had, you know, my other cousin was is part of the uh, Pacific Northwest Orchestra. She's a violinist with Pacific Northwest wow. Ballet. So, you know, I do have those musical roots, but so much of it, I think, was my innate talent for music, I think, came from all from listening to, you know, music. I listened mm-hmm. to so much music. I mean, Sinatra and Sammy Davis and all that. And, you know, it, I think a lot of it just also came from from me, you know, from yeah. my innate talent, too. I love that. I, I love that you say that, man, because I've been... I'm really a big proponent of self-love and self-determination and and self-actualization and and confidence. And I really love when I hear someone be like, yeah, I have these musical roots, but I also put in the work, you know, and I'm talented. And I love to hear you say that because I I think that it's lacking a lot in the world where, you know, we've been raised to, uh, you know, cockiness is seen as bad and 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 obviously too much confidence yeah well you know what cockiness is very much of a downfall right and i agree and but i do say like i think it's it's a disservice to kids where we teach them you know there's a difference between cockiness and confidence you know like yes there is it's important to have self-love and to realize you know i can do this because if you're not your biggest fan you know right exactly right who's going to be but your fan at the end of the day <laughs> the difference the big difference though in cockiness and confidence is cockiness is when people think they are too above right. something to ever work on anything or to be right good. um confidence is knowing that you have have what it takes and you go for it and you work hard well so said there's a lot of it has to do with a lot of a, a work ethic that's a great point cockiness is no work ethic confidence is work ethic right there is a total difference well put well so let me i'm gonna i'm gonna pivot yet again so in in the conversation of family right i had the i had the the honor and the privilege of getting to know you um from i think you might be the the person i've long known the longest in my life and yes and and with that i got to know your family and you know i love all of you you know you're you're all very formative to my life and uh, you know, our fathers are, are as close as friends can possibly be, just as me and you are. 
And I want to I want to pose the question, you know, um, growing up as an Italian American in America, do you see an influence that had? Because when I was growing up, I always thought you guys were the coolest people on the planet. (laughs) Uncle Pete, (laughs) Uncle Pete is the coolest guy I've ever met. Like the stories he would tell, and you know, like he's just he's the man. And and I don't know, like you know, I don't know too many Italian people, and I'm curious to know. Do you think that that being born and there, you know, there's a pride that I've that I've seen in Italian families that I have met, and that go. I don't know where. I mean, it comes from you know. You guys just have such a beautiful culture and su- such great talents that came out of out of the Italian American communities. Is that something yeah. that is that like um something you could touch on? Just how how being Italian American has influenced you as a person. It has in so many ways. Being an Italian American has really influenced me in in lots of ways. In that, you know, I. I we grew up all, obviously, he is the be-all and end-all of all of us, as Frank Sinatra. I grew up listening to him and, and wanting to, to be him. Mm-hmm. And so, and there was so much of the singing, you know, like of Pavarotti and, and Enrico Caruso, all these brilliant singers, Jimmy Roselli, all these singers that, you know, we, we were a culture that was brought up on music. And the, the reason why I think that we can sing so well is because we were over on the boats yelling at each other. And, you know, <laughs> that came from the singing. So so a lot of that came from there. And yeah, I, I think there were so many, I mean, in, in ballet, there was a Ciccari, who was a very famous Italian uh, teacher. And so a lot of, so there was so much, I think, because there was so much love for life, which came mm. from all music and art and Michelangelo and all that, that there was so much pride. The people came from Italy, they came with pride, knowing mm. that that we created such art. I mean, one of the great films of all time is The Godfather. When mm-hmm. you look at that film, it's I equate that film with Michelangelo. If Michelangelo were to take a, a painting or, or uh, something clay and make it into something like the David, it was that kind of a film. And I think it just, it, a lot of what Italy comes from is beauty. And I think that's where I got so much of influence from is my culture. Because there was so much beauty in it. There was so mm-hmm. much beauty in, in. I mean, one of the biggest dance teachers of all time who was mine was Luigi, the famous jazz teacher Luigi. You know, there was so much of that that influenced such a passion for it and a love for it, too. Mm. That, you know, and I, I'm thankful because so much of the Italian community is about music and art so it's so much in our culture i think mm. it's just part of our culture it's it's enrooted in us you know even people who don't do it professionally they do it as a hobby or something it's it's rooted in our culture mm. so that's where i think it all comes from is my roots i love Italian. that i love that i think it was um gosh i i i'm gonna have to correct myself in edits if i'm wrong but i'm i'm pretty sure you know what? I'm going to leave it nameless and I'm going to come back sure. to it. I'm going to say it was Marcus Garvey, but I could be wrong. But I heard that a man who doesn't know his roots is is like a tree that has no roots, you know? Like you you can't yeah, you I can't can live. That. You see that? You got to know you got to know where you come from to be to be who you are. And uh, yeah. I completely butchered the quote, but it's so beautiful and and it's always stuck with me and I think it's really interesting, you know, like 
um, just just culture and influence on on people is is something that fascinates me. And being that I you know I love I love music and uh, American culture, and and it would be I would be a fool to ignore the influence that Italian Americans and African Americans have had on our culture and our music. And uh, and I'm and I'm incredibly privileged when I'm able to talk to people about how their culture has influenced their craft. Um, but I also want to ask you, you know, what is something that you were taught, whether as a kid or as a man, that has stuck with you and just kind of kept you afloat or, or just inspired you? What's something that you've been told in the past that you'd like to share um, for, the, for the audience who are, you know, either dealing with COVID or just trying to struggle and, and make it as an artist? Is there any words of wisdom that you'd like to share? I would like to say, whenever you can be resilient, you know, be like a bouncing ball. Because the thing is, is that this is good. This is a rough time, but there are ways to fight it. I mm. think there are ways to overcome things. You know, there's many emotional triggers that people are going through, mm-hmm. like such as anxiety, depression, stress, and all that. But I think that if you have the right mindset to do the arts, and, and you really care for it so much, there's a focus and there's a way to keep that focus. And I think, you know, there's ways to bounce back. Mm. And, you know, we're seeing society, and I just hope that that comes with empathy because, you know, we live in a world where people write hateful things right now on the Facebook, on social, very negative and rude things. And I think there's a way to be empathetic. Because what we have not seen, we've we've unfortunately not seen the empathy side, and that has so much to do with what's been rooted so far and influenced in in America. And I think that when you look at the empathetic side, everything else becomes stronger. Mm. I love that. I'm really grateful for that answer, and I and I'm and I'm totally, fully in agreement with it. Um, I think that, you know, if we live by the tenets of the golden rule, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. You want to be treated, yeah. Exactly. If, if we just all truly lived by that statement, I think that the world would be, you know, an incredible place to live. And, and I think we'll get there. You know, I think it, as, as much as it, it sometimes seems like a, a fool's errand to believe that, I really do think that we're headed in that direction, you know, with the with the civil rights movement that we're seeing right now with people in yes. the streets fighting for rights and, uh, you know, just the youth movement. As much as I, you know, I think we have some incredible elders like our parents as, as great examples of that. We have some incredible leaders. I do think we have some incredible youth stepping up to the plate. And that's where yes, my real do. my real sights are. And speaking of speaking of social movements, um, what is something that, you know, outside of music that's really that really drives you as far as, you know, because I, I, we've spoken about this in the past, you know, social activism for us both yeah. is is paramount. So what's something that you've kind of been um, that's kind of been fo- your, your focus as of late? Well, because I did the year tour of Fox because of the shows I've done, which had people who are African-American in my casts and because of the subject matters of the show you know, of the shows itself, this time really drove me to really read the books, read the interviews, watch the TED Talks, watch the documentaries, the Netflix documentaries, and all these subjects of Black Lives Matter. 
at how we can be better allies. Um, because I'm at, I'm part of the Jen Waldman Studio, and I'm I'm going to give a shout out to Jen Waldman Studio on here. It is it is one it is probably the best acting studio to take in New York City. You must do yourself a service to take with that studio, where they do have so many community calls about Black Lives Matter, and for people who are of Black Indigenous people of color community calls that are just for them so that they can have their own say and their own space. And I think that the more that we allow that to happen where other places cannot hold a safe space for people who are, who are BIPOC and identify as that, then I think the better off we would be as a society. And it's, you know, you have to look at yourself and you have to identify yourself and, you know, your identity is of three things. It's of who are you, you know, where are you from and what do you do? And there's so much of that. I think that's so much a part of the black lives matter movement. And I think that we also have to, we have to just, we have to be cautious and we have to be understanding about what is real and what is at hand. We can't just put it off. Because if we ignore it, then we're not doing any better as a society. That's amazing. And That's so true. We have to ignore. We cannot ignore that things are there. Mm-hmm. You know, I traveled the U.S. where it was there, and you know, where we we played different houses and we passed by Confederate flags. You know, wow. it is there. It mm-hmm. is part. Unfortunately, America was rooted and was built unfortunately on racism Mm -hmm. and you know we are now living in a pandemic where things are getting triggered Mm -hmm. and because it's getting triggered we are seeing that people are showing their true selves definitely through this and you know i have two of my i mean i have two i mean one of my best friends and also my cousin they're both going into social work and this made them go into social work the subject of being a social worker in my opinion and i know it's such a huge subject right now uh, is social work but the big thing about it is if you want to do social work you have to look at yourself from the past you have to look at your own self before you can say that you're a good person mm. because it it's not enough to say, well, I'm a social worker and I help people out. Therefore, I can't be racist. Right. That is not true. Mm. Racism, like anything else in life, stays on people like a scar, like bullying. Other things stay on people like a scar. And if you are faced and you are told something that does need to be told – you have to accept it and you have to say, okay, I will do better. Mm. This is part of the reason what's going on. And the reason why that hasn't happened a lot is and why people are shutting off to that is because we're dealing with social media. We're dealing with other people telling them that they're perfect. There's nothing wrong. But if you want to go into that sort of work, you know, some people do have it naturally. One of my very best friends is so deserving to be in that position. My cousin Raffaella is so deserving to be in that position. They're people who are trying to end the stigma of mental health because Mm -hmm. of this, who are not deserving to be in that position, who 
if they want to be more deserving to be in that position, they need to wake up and they mm. need to look at themselves mm. and before they call themselves angels mm. because that's not part of it. And mm. that's why we have more and more problems going on. That's why we don't have, now that we're living in this Zoom era and now that we're living in, in the FaceTime era and everything that's not face-to-face, that's why we're not dealing with problems face-to-face that need to be dealt face-to-face with. You know, Mm -hmm. so instead of going to complaining to a higher up, do it face to face because that's where you're going to get the answer. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think things will be better resolved is if it's face to face saying X, Y and Z. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem that's not happening right now. And I wonder when we go back, what communication is going to be like, because certainly the communication is terrific. But I wonder what it's going to be like face-to-face. Mm. I am incredibly grateful for that answer. That was, it was profound. It was well thought out. That was, that was beautiful, man. And I, and I couldn't agree Thanks. with what you said more. I mean, I really, um, I'm speechless. That was, that was, we, we, have, we have great issues to deal with, but I agree. I think it starts with communication. I think if people sat down and started you know, I, the internet age, it's beautiful because it connects us all, but you're right, it gives people this out that you can't get out of. When when someone's looking you in your eyes and saying, you've hurt me, yeah. you know, it's different. It's, it's, it's harder to avoid the pain than when you yeah. can just turn your computer screen off and be like, a troll <laughs> and, and exactly and with social and with with social work and everything there are people and this is what i wonder about the younger generation because the older generation was certainly not like this of the people that i knew mm-hmm. but the younger generation has to know their boundaries when they're going to go into the field of the mental you know because physical is different you know you can get somebody to, to, to lay it down who's at whatever and they can lay it down but this is mind we're talking about over mm-hmm. right now the body we're not talking about the body we know what's up with that but we're talking about the mind itself and the brain itself and the mental stick the stigma of mental health and mm-hmm. what's going on mm-hmm. that you cannot be in anywhere in about ba- the boundary of mental health you cannot be at a table and observe somebody and say i'm a social worker and i think you need help that's not your business to do that yeah that is not your business to do that and i see that a lot nowadays because of that that they think they're being passionate when they don't know exactly what's going on it's like i could look at a painting and i could say with that painting well this needs more shading and more coloring what do you know if it needs more shading and more coloring what do you know about the artist's head Mm -hmm. in that sense and i equate that to what i do as a performer in that what do you know when i'm why this is or that you know what do you know why i love this why i love that it's all about knowing Mm -hmm. before you judge it and having the intellect before having a gut reaction and that's part of the site yes we do have gut reactions everything's gutsy whatever it is it's all about knowing and it's a big problem nowadays that we don't have enough of that because of this pandemic. You know, it, we will look at a, that at somebody or we'll look at a piece of, of art, we'll look at here something or whatever, and we'll automatically judge it. And I think before you do that, you have to take it in and look at it for what it is. And I see that that's a loss. 
That's you know. I know I I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. And I and I love the the way that you put it about a painting. I think that was a great analogy. Like, what the hell do you know about what the what the artist was thinking? You can't tell him how to do, tell her how to do it. Well, let me ask you this. Let me as as we as we wrap this and I and I'm eternally grateful for you taking the time Thank and speaking you. with me. Um I asked you before what were some words of wisdom that someone had had left with you, but now I want to ask you what are some words of wisdom that you could impart with us and and that could be either um you know words to a, a young a young artist. Actually, let me ask you as, as a two-part question. Part 1 would be what is some words of advice for a young up-and-coming artist? And then part two would just be what's words of advice from your time on earth as a human being? Words of advice I give to an artist is do the work. That's my word of advice to artists. And and understand that on your time as a human being that, that you know, it is okay to fail. Failure, when you fail, you do better. You learn for the next time. It's like what Sisyphus, no, sorry, not Sisyphus, he wrote um oh samuel beckett wrote fail fail again fail better Mm. you can always have a chance to do it better Mm. i love that wow that's amazing and also like just two great tenants to live by i think i um yeah failure i said this in the in another podcast jay-z has a line where he says i never lose because he's even in failure i learn a valuable lesson so it evens out for me yeah, that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so true. Well, listen, I, I'm, I'm so grateful. This was an incredible conversation. Is there anything else that you want to leave people with? Anything that you're working on? I'd love to add along with kind of your, your site and your Instagram, but is there anything else you want to leave us with? I just want to tell everybody, hang in there. You are going to be okay. Work hard. Don't give up the dream. And don't let anybody tell you that you can't have your dream because you can it is always possible. Keep your mind on it, work hard, and don't give up. Wow. That is incredible. Thank you so much. Oh, anytime.